let's continue in our worship 547 this morning. It's so good to see you in God's house. So grateful for His uh, generosity and graciousness to us in giving us this time together. 547, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned and clean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. 547, let's stand up, sing out 547.
Amen. I pray that that will be the case, that Jesus will shine brightly here today. Last week we went back and paid a visit to the very first family, our ancestors of long ago, Adam and Eve. And when we left them last week, they were the perfect couple living in the perfect environment with the perfect careers. And I don't mean almost perfect, I mean perfect. Everything was perfect. Well, today we revisit them, we turn to the very next chapter, and everything is in shambles. It's in shambles. In fact, if we go to the next chapter, we find that their one son has killed their other son. And we look at this. Here's a perfect couple in a perfect environment, in perfect careers. Everything's perfect. How in the world did this happen? Last week, we basically answered the question, where did my family come from? We talked about the fact that marriage was God's idea, it was God's good gift to us. Today, we're going to tackle this question, how did my family get into such a mess? How did my family get into such a mess? And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. My family isn't a mess. Now, be honest about it. While it might not be as much of a mess in your family, as other families are dealing with, all of us have messes to deal with from time to time, don't we? Be honest about it today. Are there any messes in your family? Pastor Timothy Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, wrote, I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage. At weddings, in church, and in Sunday school, much of what I've heard on the subject has as much depth as a Hallmark card. While marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious, but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, yet it's also blood, sweat, and tears. Humbling defeats and exhausting victories. He said, no marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Hmm. You know, as hard as marriage is at times, shall we talk about parenting? What about extended family? What about the in-laws and outlaws that you have? What about those? Got any messes in your family? How did my family get into such a mess? Why are we dealing with what we're dealing with in our families? Why do we have the struggles and the heartaches and the sorrows and the the blood, the sweat and the tears and all that goes with it in marriage and parenting and and in-laws and outlaws and all that? Well, we want to research it together. We're going to go to the Bible and see that the Bible has the answer to that question. How did my family get into such a mess? And I want you to open your Bible again to Genesis. And I want you to find the third chapter this morning. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to revisit Adam and Eve. We're going to see what's going on here. We left them in a perfect state and we find them today in shambles. And this Bible and this passage tells us how that happened and what happened. We're going to read all of chapter 3 of Genesis and then dive in. And learn together today how our families got into such a mess. Genesis chapter 3, begin reading at verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, begin reading at verse 1. Now the serpent, just saying that word makes some of your skin crawl, doesn't it? The snake. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the days that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, Because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. How did your family get into such a mess? The answer can be summed up in one word. Sin. S-I-N. Sin. This third chapter of Genesis is such an important chapter. Griffith Thomas said it was the pivot on which the whole Bible turns. You have to understand what happened here. It's vital that we understand what took place in chapter 3 to understand redemption. 
to understand salvation. And I want to impress upon you today three vital truths, three main truths from this passage when it comes to our lives and to our family. Number one is this. We have disobeyed God. We have disobeyed God. Now, God placed Adam and Eve in this perfect environment, perfect couple, perfect careers. Everything was perfect. Tend and and keep and enjoy. And He gave them only one rule. Only one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. By the way, notice please that work came before the fall. Work is not a curse. Work became harder after the fall. But work itself is a blessing. Oh, that many would learn that today. But work is a, is a blessing. Our world needs to hear that. And it was given before the fall. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so there it is. There's the command. And then here comes slithering along the snake. And this snake begins talking with Eve. Now don't get so caught up with talking snakes that you miss the point of the passage. Remember, everything's perfect at this moment. Perhaps they could talk with the animals. We don't know. Perhaps this was a common thing. We don't find that Eve was startled. Now if a snake walks up to you today, you better run. But, but back in that day, she didn't seem to be bothered about it. Maybe she was still learning about this thing. But here comes this snake. And the snake comes along and, and uh, he, he walks up, I guess, and he begins talking. But remember, this is not just a snake. Not just a serpent as much as I hate those things. Do you all hate them too? Not just a snake. This is Satan. Now, whether he took the form of a snake or whether he took over the body of a snake, however he did it, he appears as a snake. You say, well, how do we know the snake is, is Satan? Revelation 12.9 says this about Satan. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So he comes along and what does he do? He puts a question mark where God has placed a period. He begins to attack the word of God. He begins to bring along doubt. Look at verse 1 again. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, has God really said this? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He puts a question mark where God has placed a period. He brings doubt. Now beloved, listen. This really builds nicely upon this morning's Sunday school lesson about the Bible and and the adult classes. We need to handle the word of God very carefully. We need to be very careful with God's Word. Would you agree with that? But as I've studied, I was reminded that Eve was not careful with God's Word. In fact, we see that Eve, in her response, she diminished the Word of God, she added to the Word of God, and she softened the Word of God. Let me show you how she did that. In verse 2, I want you to notice what Eve said. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. You know what? God said that they could freely eat. Eve left that out. She didn't talk about the freeness and the freedom that they were enjoyed in eating all these delicious uh, fruits from these trees. She left that out. She diminished God's Word. We can eat the trees. Now, God said you can freely eat. She added to the Word of God in verse 3. She said, God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. 
Nowhere do we find that God said they couldn't even touch the tree or they would die. God said, don't eat it. It's a good idea not to touch it, but we don't find God saying that. She added to God's word as far as we understand. But there's a third thing she did. She not only diminished it, she not only added to it, she softened it. Notice the last three words of verse 3. Lest you die. God didn't say lest you die. God said what? You shall surely die. There's no doubt about it. There's no question mark about it. And so she comes along and she does not handle God's word carefully. She diminished it. She added to it. She softened it. And when it comes to God's Word, we're not to do that. We're to do what? We're to say what it says. We're to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so the Satan comes along here in the form of a snake, and he places a doubt when it comes to God's Word. And then he goes from doubting God's Word to denying God's Word. By the way, that's a very short step to take. But notice what he did in verse 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman... You will not surely die. He denies God's word. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. We find here that Satan not only attacks God's word, he attacks God's character. He says basically, listen, God is wrong. God's not, not telling you the truth. God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he knows the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. By the way, did you notice a little truth mixed in there? Their eyes were going to be opened. But they wouldn't be like God. They'd be far from God. They'd be cut off from God. Their fellowship with God would be broken. As one author I read noted, she allowed Satan to capture her ear. She allowed Satan to capture her eye. And she allowed Satan to capture her will. Notice what happens in verse 6. Now he's put this doubt in her mind. He's denied God's word. He's attacking God's word. He's attacking God's character. And verse 6 says it this way. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it, ate the fruit, she gave to her husband, he also ate. Satan plays the same three chords when it comes to temptation, did you know that? He appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Write this verse, uh, this reference in your margin if you'd like. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. I want to show you how it plays out here in Genesis. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, verse 16, 1 John 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. He plays those same three chords. Now notice them here in the passage. The lust of the flesh. It says that she saw the tree was good for food. The lust of the flesh. Man, that looks good. Now she had all these other trees. All this other fruit. All this other good stuff that God's created that she could freely eat. But she got focused on that. The lust of the flesh. It was Man, it looks good for food. Then notice the lust of the eyes. It says, what about that fruit? By the way, we don't know it was an apple. The apple gets a bad rap. We don't know what it was. Just pick whatever you're... The fruit you hate, that's what it was, I guess, right? You know, don't touch that. But anyway, we don't know what it was. But this fruit, it was, it, was, it was good for food. And it says what? The lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. Man, it was pleasant to look at. Then the third chord he plays is what? The pride of life. The Bible says there she saw it 
And it says it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. That desire, that pride of life to be wise, to be like God. And he played those three chords. By the way, did you realize he played those same three chords when he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, you can write this reference down, Matthew chapter 4, and I'll run through it real quickly. Remember that the, the Bible says that the Lord was led by the Spirit to be tempted. By the way, He was tempted at all points like as we yet without sin. Hallelujah. He never sinned. But He appealed when He was tempting Jesus. He appealed to the lust of the flesh. Remember, Jesus had been fasting. And it says He was hungry. And what did Satan tempt Him to do? He said, see those stones over there? Turn them to bread. Lust of the flesh. Then He also appealed to the lust of the eyes. He took them up and showed them all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them all to you. Man, look at all that. He appealed to the lust of the eyes. And then he appealed to the pride of life when it came to Jesus. He says, listen, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down because it's written, the angels will take charge of you and protect you. So he played those same three chords over and over again. When he comes into your life, look out for those three chords. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now Jesus overcame Satan, but Adam and Eve did not. They disobeyed. They sinned. It says there she took the fruit and ate. Then I want you to notice what happens in verse 6 at the end. It says she also gave to her husband with her. Now the question is, where was Adam when all this was going on? Because at this point, he's with her. It is very possible that Adam was standing there the whole time and listening to all this. But we understand it says that he was standing with her and he ate. Adam willingly and willfully took that fruit and he ate. And they're guilty. And they disobeyed God. And beloved, not only are they guilty, we are guilty. You say, wait a minute preacher, I wasn't there. I don't even like fruit. I wasn't there. I didn't eat that fruit. Why am I guilty because he disobeyed? Well, because Adam was our representative, our federal head. And when he sinned, we sinned. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, listen to Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 makes it very clear. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. As our representative, he sinned. And when he sinned, we sinned. Now that means we're sinners by nature. Now that's one reason you never have to have a lesson with your child. You say, okay, come here, Sally, I want to teach you something. Now I want to teach you to throw a tantrum right now. I want you to teach you to throw a fit right now. Just lay on the ground and just, just still disobey mom and dad. I want to teach you to steal. Come here, i got a cookie jar. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't eat that cookie. Now I want you to reach in and get the cookie and steal it. Neither. Do you have to do that with your kids? No. We're sinners by nature, but let's be honest, we're not only sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice. We choose to sin. We choose to disobey. What's wrong with your family? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with each one here? We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one person who never sinned and His name is Jesus Christ. That's why He came. That's why this is, the, this is the pivot upon which the whole Bible turns. If we don't understand this truth, that we're sinners, then how can we understand the need for a Savior? We're sinners. We know the cause. How did my family get in such a mess? We're sinners. We're sinners. 
Now let's talk about the cure for a moment. Is there a cure? Amen. Praise the Lord. There is. There is. We disobey God. So secondly, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. Now please notice what happened when they sinned here. When Adam and Eve took that fruit and their eyes were open, they realized that they were naked. Did they run to God? No. They ran away from God and they did what? They hid. They tried the religion of self-effort. Did you notice that? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves because they were naked. Now, before sin entered the world, there was no issue here. There was no sin. But the moment their eyes were open, good and evil, they realized they were unclothed. And they go and they hide themselves. They try to, to cover themselves. And they hear God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Now I want you to notice that God makes the first move in redemption. He makes the first move in salvation. He comes seeking them and He gives them a chance for confession. He gives them a chance to confess and tell what they've done. But what do they do? They begin to play the blame game. You like to play the blame game? A lot of people do. And uh, He calls out, Adam, where are you? He knew where He was, but He gave him an opportunity. And, and we find they begin to play the blame game. And what does Adam do? He says, well, it's the woman you gave me. It's the woman. It's her fault. And actually, He not only blamed the woman, He blamed God. He said, the woman... The woman you gave to be with me. See what it says there in verse 12? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. God, you gave her to me. <laughs> Do you notice what happens when he turns to the woman? The woman uses that old saying that so many want to do, right? The devil made me do it. <laughs> verse 13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But in the midst of all this sorrow, in the midst of all this sin, in the midst of all this travesty here, there is grace. There is the gospel. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but the gospel is here in Genesis. It's the 15th chapter. I mean, it's a third, a 15th verse. Look at verse 15. God says, I'll put enmity between you, talking to the snake now, to the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, beloved, I want you to understand, that is more than just a battle between a woman and a snake. That's more than just about a woman trying to crush a snake's head and the snake biting her. Do you notice it talks about the snake's seed and the woman's seed? In fact, if I look at it in my Bible, I notice it talks about the fact, it says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, little s, and her seed, capital S. What is that all about? Well, it's very unusual to start with, right? Because we talk about a woman's seed. We don't usually talk about the woman's seed. We talk about the man's seed. But this talks about the woman's seed. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman's seed. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we have here a picture of the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall, he shall uh, bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's that all about? Well, we find the bruising of the heel refers to Calvary. But the crushing, the bruising of the head refers to the victory that was gained on Calvary. So we have here a picture of the seed, the virgin bringing forth the Son, the Savior, the bruising of His heel as He died upon the cross, but the crushing, the bruising of the head of the serpent as He overcomes, it is finished, as He rises victorious. We have the Gospel here in Genesis. 
Not only that, do you know we have the blood in Genesis? A lot of people want to get rid of the blood today. Friend, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do you notice what happens in verse 21? It says in verse 21, And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now what has to happen? To get an animal skin, what has to happen? An animal has to die. An innocent animal dies to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And obviously all those animal sacrifices, they were not sufficient. They were pointing to the one sacrifice. They were pointing to the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. They were pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in the garden, we have the gospel and we have the blood pictured. And beloved, all have sinned and all need Jesus. And I've got to ask you today, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Him today? See, all have sinned, all have fallen short of His glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. Because of sin, we're destined for hell. We're destined to an eternity apart from Him. But God says, listen, I love you so much that I gave my only begotten Son. He died upon a cross. He shed His precious blood. He rose again victorious. And if you'll turn from your sin and you'll place your faith in Him, I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll make you a son and daughter of God. I'll redeem you. I'll bring you back into a right relationship with me. I'll give you Christ's righteousness in your life if you'll place your faith in me. Friend, you must do that personally. You must come to the cross. You must come in repentance and faith. And I encourage you to do that. Remember how we talked about Adam was our representative? And when he sinned, we sinned. And I showed you that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Some people didn't like that, but you're going to love this. It works the other way too. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, listen to the next several verses in Romans. Romans 5, verses 17 through 19. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's Adam. Resulting in condemnation. That's Adam. We're in Adam. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. Resulting in justification of life. That's Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, Adam is our representative. And he sinned. But when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, now he's my representative. And I have his righteousness. And when God looks upon me, he does not see Rodney condemned and unclean and, and unrighteous and sinful. He sees Rodney in Christ's righteousness. Christ has become my head. So don't get all bent out of shape that, oh, man, I, I didn't sin, but I'm. But listen, it works the other way too. Christ is our representative. See, we've disobeyed God. All of us have. We need the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. But there's a third thing here, and we need to hasten. The third thing is this we need tons of grace. We need tons of grace. Now, what do I mean by that? Obviously, we have the grace of God. God's grace is all over this passage, it's all over the Bible. It's by God's grace that we're not consumed. By God's grace, He sent His Son. All of it. We see God's grace operating here. What I mean by we need tons of grace is this. We need to receive and give grace to one another. We're talking about family life. So I want to apply this in that area of family life. 
marriage and parenting and extended families and outlaws and in-laws and all those things. There are some things that we need to remember and there are some things we need to keep in the front of our mind in practice when it comes to family life. I want you to jot down these five, if you will, please. Number one, we need to remember this. We are doing family life in the midst of a sinful, fallen, cursed world. We're doing family life in the midst of a sinful, cursed, fallen world. We read about that here. They were in a perfect environment and then they sinned. Not only were their eyes open, not only did they die spiritually, they would eventually die physically, just as we will. But the world was cursed. Thorns and thistles and sweat and hardship and heartache. Later on, their one son would kill their other son. And we see sin reigning. We need to remember that we're doing family life in the midst of a sinful, fallen, cursed world. That impacts our life in so many ways. Secondly, for those of you that are married, you need to remember the person that you're married to is a sinner. The person you're married to is a sinner. Now, I pray they're a safe sinner. I pray they trusted Jesus Christ. But we still sin from time to time, don't we? We still wrestle within ourselves, don't we? One day we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin in heaven. But we already have been delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. So remember, your spouse is a sinner. Now, if you, now don't say amen to that, but just remember that, right? Your spouse is a sinner. That's number two. Number three, now write this one down. The person that your spouse is married to, they're a sinner. Did you catch that? The person that your spouse is married to, they're a sinner. Yeah, that's you. You're a sinner. Now you can say amen right there. You're a sinner. Amen. I'm a sinner. So in marriage, we have two sinners coming together to live together in holy matrimony. Do you think any messes could come of that? So here we are, two married sinners in the midst of a fallen, sin-cursed world. You need to remember that. Number four. Those little people that live in your home, that eat all your food, that make all those messes and all that noise. You know those little people that live in your home? Your kids? They're sinners! They don't get mad at me. The Bible says that. I had preached about that one time before in another church. And somebody told me later that a lady, she had barbecue preacher that day for lunch. Man, she hated it. How dare he say my children are sinners? Well, they're sinners! <laughs> They are. My kids are sinners. Your kids are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You got an issue with that? Take it to God. Don't barbecue me. Talk to Him. They're sinners who need a Savior. In many regards, we as parents, we're missionaries. We're seeking to, to guide those kids and bring them to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring them in grace and nurture. So let's talk this all together. We have two sinners who marry living in a sinful, fallen, cursed world who then procreate and bring more sinners into the house and you wonder, why is our family in such a mess? Fifth thing. None of us are perfect yet, practically speaking. Positionally in Christ, we're perfect. Practically speaking, we're not. God is not done with us yet. Now since all that's true, you've got all these sinners living together, Hopefully redeemed, born again, children of the King, but still struggling with sin. We need to extend tons of grace to one another. Tons of grace. I need to give grace to my wife. 
She needs to give grace to me. We need to give grace to our kids. They need to give grace. You see what I'm talking about here? Extending grace. I love what Paul David Tripp said about this. He says, yes, you live in a bad neighborhood, the fallen world. And the two of you are less than perfect, sin. But in all this, you are not left to your own resources. The God who determined your address lives there with you and is committed to giving you everything you need. The Bible says that God is near, so near that in the moment of your need, you can reach out and touch Him because He's not far from each one of us. Acts 17, 27. Here's the point. We cannot do family life alone. We need the Lord. We need His grace. We need His enablement. We need His help. And I wish we had more time to talk about this. We'll talk more about family life. One more message next week. And I hope you'll be here for that. But there are some verses that came to mind as we wrap up today. And I want to give you these two verses in the book of Colossians. And I believe these two verses, if you were to really grasp these and let them grasp you, and you practice these in your life, in your family, it could revolutionize your family life. Colossians chapter 3 And if you practice these in your family life, your marriage, your parenting, if you practice these in the power of the Holy Spirit, listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, if you're a child of God, you're the elect of God, holy and beloved, listen, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Now listen to verse 13. Bearing with one another. Listen. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, I don't know if you crashed that. I want you to hear it in the Lexham English Bible. Listen to what he says there. Therefore, as the chosen of God, holy and dearly beloved, put on affection, compassion. Think about this in your family life. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Patience. That reminds you of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Imagine that operating in your your family life. Listen to verse 13 in that that version. Imagine this in your family. I I love this. Putting up with one another. In that family life, putting up one another and forgiving one another. If anyone should have a complaint against anyone, just as also the Lord forgave you, thus also you do the same. See, when we live with grace in our family... All we're doing is doing what God has done for us. We become a conduit, a channel of grace. Because God's grace has reached out to us. God's grace has saved us. God's grace has forgiven us. We begin to extend grace to our family. You know, you say, well, we need rules. Yeah, we have to have rules, sure. But I find a lot of families, we do really well with the rules. Maybe we got all these rules. Don't do this, don't do that. We do real good with that. But how much grace is there? How much compassion? How much kindness? How much humility? How much serving others? How much gentleness? How much patience is there? We need the Lord's help in this. This is not natural. This is supernatural. So we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and then putting up one another and forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. We've disobeyed God. We need the Gospel. We need tons of grace operating in our life putting up with one another, forgiving one another, loving each other. Beloved, that is real, true, biblical family life. And may God help us to live it out in our families. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word.
And I thank you that you paint a vivid and true and honest picture of how we are. Lost, condemned sinners far from you. But I thank you, O Father, that you so loved us, you sent your Son to die in our place, to shed his precious blood and rise again victorious. And because he lives, we can live. Father, as we've tried to show from your word today, everyone has sinned. Everyone must personally place their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray today as we close this service, if anyone does not know Jesus, this will be the very time they come and place their faith in you alone as they turn from their sin and come to you. Father, I pray for our families. May they be places of grace, kindness, humility, compassion, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, putting up with one another, forgiving one another because you do that and did that for us. Father, I pray that you'd work in this invitation for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn as ladies come is 136, Are You Washed in the Blood? And friend, you say, what's wrong with my family? Sin. But there is a cure. His name is Christ. If you're here today, you never met the Lord Jesus. Whether you're a young person, an older person, whatever your age, stage, whatever it is. You need Jesus. I want to invite you when we sing this song to come. I'll be down here at the front. Say, preacher, I'd like to meet Jesus. We'll take and place you with someone who loves Jesus and loves you. Take a Bible and lead you to the cross. It's just that simple. We would invite you to come. If there's another need upon your heart, you want to come pray today, we'd invite you as well as we stand and sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? 136, let's stand and sing. We're going to sing the chorus a cappella. Let's sing that fourth verse together. Right.